waiting for something to happen <laughs> is often uncomfortable, can produce a little bit of anxiety uh, when you don't know what's coming, when you don't know where things are going and you're stuck waiting. Well, that's the theme for our sermon today, uh, the tension and anxiety of waiting. And I wanted to create a little bit of that for you. Uh, the reason why we're focusing on that is because we're actually starting, we're staying in the book of John, but for the next three Sundays, we'll be covering the story of Lazarus. Uh, of course, the famous story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Now, I was uh, talking recently to my dad, who uh, is a retired, uh, semi-retired pastor. Uh, we were talking about what I was preaching on on Sunday, we're actually comparing texts because if you're looking around for him today, you won't see him. He's preaching this Sunday as well down in Orange County, and my mom is at a women's retreat preaching right now, so <laughs> us Peorics are doing what we can for the kingdom. Uh, anyway, he's preaching on Romans chapter 8. He said, what are you preaching on? I said, well, I'm preaching on Lazarus. And he said, oh, Lazarus, you get to say those words. Lazarus, come forth. And I said, no, I don't, I don't get that part of the story. <laughs> and he said, uh, well, you, oh, you get the part, the famous part, where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And I said, no, well, they, they didn't give me that part. He said, so what part did you get? And I said, well, the part where, where you find out he's sick. Uh, and then you find out he's dead. And then Jesus hangs out for two days. So that's what's going to happen in this section of John. Uh, and at first I thought, well, that's, that's kind of a bad roll of the dice. But, uh, you know, the more I thought about it, it's pretty applicable to life. I mean, yes, there are grand moments of victory in our lives, but a lot of our lives are waiting for something to happen, waiting in a state of worry and anxiety. So this is a sermon, this is a scripture about living in the tension of uncertainty while waiting for God's action. So let's read it. It's the very beginning of John chapter 11. It'll be on the screen. Uh, you can look in your Bibles, and it starts like this. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, well, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. 
His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. And you end right there with let us go into the place of danger. Uh, and we'll see what happens. Now, this is an ending with what in our household we call a hang cliffer. Because when we used to read stories to my son, Hezzy, when he was going to sleep, uh, we would sometimes end a chapter in a book where, you know, you have this spot of tension. You don't know what's happening next. We told him this is called a cliffhanger, which he kind of mistranslated as a, a hang cliffer. And so that's what we, we call these moments. We still call them that in our household, even though uh, Hezzy knows the real word. Now it bothers him, but that just makes us say it more. Uh, so uh, <laughs> the, the, the phrase persists. But we're, we're here in a hang cliffer. We're stuck in the moment of worry. If we're just covering this section and we leave today, we're stuck in this moment where Lazarus is dead and Jesus is heading into danger because going back to Judea, uh, Bethany, the city where Lazarus lives, is right next to Jerusalem. Going back there is where they just escaped when the religious leaders were trying to kill Jesus. And we're stuck in this moment, hanging. We're stuck in what I'm calling for the sermon today the waiting room. I feel that that's a place we've all been before, a waiting room, especially at a doctor's office. Uh, and we know what that's like. Uh, recently, uh, my family got to experience going to the waiting room at the emergency room. Uh, now, uh, my wife had been uh, suffering from kind of a mysterious uh, malady uh, with her eye and head, and we didn't know what was going on, and the doctors weren't sure. Uh, so it drove us to actually go to the emergency room where we could get the, the tests needed to kind of find out what was happening. Uh, and uh, when you get into that waiting room, I mean, it was kind of like a stereotypical expectation of an emergency uh, room waiting room. There were obviously a lot of sick people. There uh, were babies, several babies crying at the same time. Uh, there was one guy that was arguing with a security guard. Uh, there was uh, in the corner, for some reason, a, a big screen television just blaring. They had the volume all the way up and it wasn't a good connection, so like every few seconds it was glitching. Uh, and so I looked around and I said, this feels like a metaphor for what life is like sometimes. Surrounded by worry, screens blaring at us 24-7. Then of course, that's just the anxiety of the present we also, you know, we're all just waiting for that name to call us. When, when are we going to hear it's our turn to, to get out of the waiting room? And you have this godlike doctor that will call you in. But then you're not even sure what's going to happen because, of course, amidst all of this in the waiting room, my mind, when I'm thinking of my wife, goes to, you know, the most extreme places. You know, what's, what are we going to find out? Is it a brain tumor? Is it a raging infection? Now, I'll, I'll tell you now that it was not, uh, and she's doing much better, and we, the one thing that was good about getting a CT scan was finding out it wasn't any of those uh, 
dangerous things. But when you're in the waiting room, all things are possible. This could all go wrong. But we're stuck in tension with the present anxiety of the moment and the future anxiety of what could happen. That's in this text as well. The present anxiety of Lazarus being dead. The future anxiety of what's going to happen when we go back there. It's dangerous. And so all of this anxiety is exacerbated by the fact that Jesus' response is, well, let's wait a couple days and stay in this. Uh, and it's a, it's, there's a lot of discussion in the commentaries of why this happens because it seems like a strange response. We almost expect him to say, Lazarus is sick, he needs me, we're going. But instead, this is what it says. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days, which seems like a strange response. Uh, why is he not hurrying? Now, a lot of the commentaries say, well, if he stays a certain amount of days, then it's guaranteed that Lazarus will be dead when he gets there. And then when he raises him, there won't be any uh, kind of controversy. They won't, or at least they'll know he was dead and that this was a, a bona fide miracle. And that might be true. I mean, Jesus does say this is all going to end in, for the glory of God. But there's something a little strange there of picturing Jesus knowing his loved one is suffering and saying, well, let's wait it out till he for sure dies. So I like the way N.T. Wright uh, interpreted this in his commentary because he starts off with saying this, God doesn't play games with us. Of that, I am quite sure. And starting there, that's a good reminder for me. God's not messing with us to make a point. He says, and yet, his ways are not our ways. His timing is not our timing. What was Jesus doing? From the rest of the story, I think we can tell. He was praying. He was wrestling with the Father's will. The disciples were quite right. The Judeans had been wanting to stone him, and surely he wouldn't think of going back just yet. When Jesus does eventually raise Lazarus from the dead, he, at that moment he thanks his father for hearing his prayers. And N.T. Wright says, and when Jesus thanks the father that he's heard his prayer, I think he's referring to the prayers he prayed during those two strange silent days in the wilderness across the Jordan. He was praying for Lazarus, but he was also praying for wisdom and guidance as to his own plans and movements. Now the reason why I like this is it's showing us that Jesus is not being idle, just waiting. He's like, wait, wait, guys, I can make a point about this. Let's hold on a second. No, he's making his plans. You see, what we will find out in the narrative as far as it's laid out in John is that this miracle that he's going to perform with Lazarus will be the final straw in the religious leader's decision to have him killed. And Jesus understands the weight and consequences of his actions here. I mean, this is all coming up to the culmination of the great divine plan. And so he wants to make sure that he's moving in accordance to the Father's will. And once we see that have happening behind the scenes, what it can mean for us is that in those moments when we're waiting, when we're in need of help, we know that Jesus 
hasn't forgotten us, but that he's coming, that he's on his way. And I think that this is something we need to know because, like I said before, a lot of life seems to be full of anxious waiting. I mean, I know it is for me. I tend to have to deal with anxiety, but from what I've learned from knowing other people, it's a fairly universal issue. In fact, the great philosopher Soren Kierkegaard says it's a symptom of us being human, of us having free will. He calls anxiety the dizziness of freedom. The fact that we have choices to make, that we have free will, it causes us as a natural characteristic of our humanity, anxiety. And that's part of our life. And I'm sure you can think right off the top of your head moments you've had in your life that have caused you to have to sit in that anxiety of not knowing what's going to happen. It could be sickness, a diagnosis for you or for a loved one. You don't know where this is going, how it's going to turn out, and you don't get answers right away. I mean, one example for me, just a small example, is, uh, you know, my son is nine years old. Uh, Nine-year-olds get sick a lot. They seem to pick up germs from just walking outside the door. Uh, And he'll get flus, and sometimes those will have fevers. And for me, a fever is kind of a scary thing. When I see my son laying there, obviously uh, languishing, and I get that thermometer back, and it's like 102, 103, something always drops out a little bit for me. Now, in my head, I say, this has happened before. Often, you know, with Tylenol and rest or whatever, we can drive that fever down. But there's always a part of my head that says, what if this doesn't go away? What if this stays? And this is the beginning of something bad. And that's that moment of anxiety. And we often have that with dealing with sickness or dealing with any kind of hardship, financial hardship, relational hardship, times where we're stuck in it and it just doesn't seem to go away, even when we pray. Ruts in our life where we seem like we've been stuck in the same place, waiting for God's action in our lives. We're not where we wanted to be in our life now. When we go, God, where are you? This is all waiting. Bruce Milne, a theologian, in his commentary, talks about this when he talks about this scripture and focuses on the delays of God based off of Jesus' two-day wait here. And he says this, quote, the delays of God are, are clearly part of the biblical record, One may ask at the most basic level why the effects of the fall were not addressed more immediately, or more more particularly, why so many centuries preceded the coming of the Redeemer. We can likewise ask why the Lord delays his return now. I mean, there's many centuries between the fall of Adam and the coming of Jesus. Why so long? It's been almost 2,000 years since those words in Revelation said, Behold, I am coming soon. So we know, at least in our perception, it seems like a delay. Milne goes on to say, Many find the question of delays raised for them personally, as they pray through long years for some particular need, perhaps some personal disability they seek freedom from, or a loved one for whose salvation they yearn, 
Others struggle with some promise of God which remains unfulfilled after weary years of waiting. And so he identifies this too as something that we all often feel, that we're waiting for God to do something. And it feels like he's delaying. But Milton goes on to say that there's something in this story that we should take hope from. Because he says, one thing that we learn about God's delays is that they are not final. He will come in his own time and way. Yes, we wait. But that does not mean he's not coming. And that's the basis of our faith is that Jesus is coming to save us, and that it's part of God's plan to save us, his plan for all creation. In Romans chapter 8, Paul considers this idea that we're suffering and waiting sometimes, but he says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And he goes to an even bigger scope. He continues, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And that's us, the children of God that have been brought into the Holy Family, that are awaiting our moment of freedom in the presence of God. But it is true that we're waiting, sometimes in our lives personally, but you know, as humanity, waiting for the coming of Jesus. But again, there's hope in this text. Because when the disciples realize that there's danger going back to Judea, and they're put into that state of anxiety, Jesus reminds them of exactly who they're with. He reminds them, anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. And we know from the very first chapter of John who the light of the world is, and that's Jesus. You may not know what I'm doing. You may not know where you're going, but if you stay close to me, you will not stumble. And I think when Jesus says, after hearing about Lazarus' death, this sickness will not lead to death, he's not only speaking of Lazarus, but he's speaking to all of us. Because on the cross, Jesus won the eternal future for us. He made it so our lives and stories do not end in death. But until we all gather together for that final resurrection, we have to wait but we get to hold on to the daylight of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we wait on you even here and now. And at this moment, I just lift up any anxious situations that people find themselves in right now. And we pray for the daylight to break through the clouds of their lives and the presence of your Holy Spirit to pour into their hearts wherever they are now, whatever they're waiting for.
And we pray that they be filled with faith and knowledge that you're coming and the peace that passes understanding, knowing that we have a Savior that has not forgotten us, but is even now striving to bring us into his heart. We thank you, Lord, for the presence of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And we pray for an outpouring of this Spirit so that even while we wait, we know you're here with us now. In Jesus' name.